studying Romans this summer, and we are in Romans 7 today. And I'm going to ask you the one question that is asked in Romans 7. And it's kind of deep, quick. Here we go. What are the things you do you don't think you should do? I'm going to give you a little time. Some of you, that list is long. (laughs) The things that you do that you don't think you should. And I want you to think about that. Really think about that. Things you do you don't think you should. Now, for some of you, this is some heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Maybe you've got some real anger problems and you have outbursts and you say things that tear people apart, especially the ones you may love the most. You yell, you're intimidating, even maybe threatening some violent things or doing some violent things. You know what you do when it comes to anger and you know you shouldn't do it. For some of you, there are some sexual things. You are just deep into pornography addiction or sexual addictions that lead to harmful behaviors or infidelity. You know what you're doing in your head, in your habits, and maybe with your body, and you are feeling the weight of that. Maybe for some of you, it's alcohol abuse, drug abuse, food abuse, and you just know it and know it and know it, but you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and you feel the weight of that. Some of you may have less destructive patterns and habits, but you still have that list, the things that you're doing that you know you shouldn't. It could be that you work too much. You just work in an unhealthy way, and it's kind of what gives you purpose and meaning, and some other important things just get shoved to the side. It could be you spend way too much money buying what you don't need, and it's just a problem. You just keep buying things you don't need. You just can't seem to stop. Maybe too much time on social media. To me, if you're on the sixth minute of a day on social media, it's way too much time. That's just my personal conviction. But anyway, man, might have been a little judgy, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe way too much TV. It could be in your mind. It could be things that you are, are doing, not with your body, but things you are entertaining in your mind. Hateful thoughts towards somebody, jealous thoughts, unhealthy sexual thoughts. There's things that you're doing with your hands, with your body, with your habits in your mind that you know you shouldn't do. So what I'd like you to do is pick, say, the top one or two and put it in your head, sear it in your brain, the top one or two things that you do that you know you shouldn't be doing. Now share that deep, darkest secret with the person sitting next. No, don't do it, don't do that. Not doing that. I want you to be comforted by this thought that the Apostle Paul, I'm saying the as in the Ohio State, the, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote half of the New Testament also had a list of things that he was doing that he knew he shouldn't be doing. Here's the Apostle Paul. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He was ministered by the Spirit of God for like three years. He's the one under the inspiration of the Spirit that wrote half of the New Testament. He's the Apostle Paul, yet he had a list in his head of the things that he was doing that he knows he shouldn't. In fact, he says this in Romans 7, 15. He says, I don't understand what I do. I do the things I hate to do. Can you relate? I don't understand what I do. I do the things I hate to do. The Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. There's a second half of that in Romans 7. What are the things you don't do you think you should do? The things you don't do, you think you should do. And again, some of you, this might be a big list of big weighty things. You may not be providing for your family. You may not be getting the skill set you need or the qualifications you need to get a good job, make a good living and provide for your family and you're actually kind of mooching off of other people and... And that ain't good. You're not doing some stuff you know you should do. Maybe you're not investing in your marriage the way you should. 
There's distance between you two. There's some habits that have been developed there, but you're not putting in the work to get this marriage together, to build some bridges, to walk forgiveness, to build new patterns. You're just neglecting it. Maybe you're not caring for your kids the way you should. You're not giving them the time or the focus, the attention, the love that they deserve. And there's an alienation between you and your kids and they're gonna pay the price for that. And actually, so will you. Things you're not doing that you know you should. Maybe you're not interested in, in building a relationship with God, which is something that's probably not the case because you're investing at least a little time being here live or online. Uh, or, but maybe you're just getting started. You've kind of neglected that. You've, you've walked away from a relationship with God for maybe some good reasons, but you haven't rebuilt that yet. Maybe you're not giving any time to volunteer to do anything outside of you or not giving generously of your resources outside of you and yours. And you know that's got to change, but you just haven't changed it and it's a weight. And you've got that list in your head. So I encourage you, what are the one or two things you're not doing that you know you should be doing? Put them in your brain. Because we're gonna talk about that a little bit at the end. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, also had a list of things in his head that he wasn't doing that he knew he should be doing. Romans 7, 15. I don't understand what I do for what I wanna do, I do not do. Can you relate? We all have this journey that we walk towards. It's this frustrating journey of, I know I need to do better. I know I need to be more disciplined. I know I gotta button this up, but I just can't seem to do it. And you feel the weight of that. You feel the guilt of that. You feel the shame of that. Then when you go to church, man, it's really piled on because church oftentimes is a continuing list of things you're not doing that you should be doing or the things you are doing that you shouldn't be doing. And, and it just feeds this sense of condemnation. Deep inside, it feeds it. But just know you are in good company. If the author of half of the New Testament has a list of things he does that he shouldn't and a list of things he doesn't do that he knows he should, we're in good company and we can probably take a little bit of comfort in that, right? And knowing this in Romans is huge for us, knowing that none of us is perfect. And that's kind of a cliche that none of us is perfect. And um, sometimes we use that to kind of justify something we did you know, wrong. Well, nobody's perfect. This is different. This is saying really, truly, none of us is perfect. If the Apostle Paul isn't you know, kind of shameless in this regard, then you know, certainly who are we to compare ourselves to him? No one's perfect. We all need God's grace. Every one of us needs God's grace. And as we'll see here in Romans chapter seven, grace can motivate us to become more like Jesus. It's grace that can motivate us to become like Jesus. Only grace can motivate us and empower us to live free, do good, and become more like Jesus. That's the theme of Romans chapter seven. We have a choice. Do we keep living in this churn of I'm not good enough, I'm not doing what I should, I'm doing what I know I shouldn't, I'm feeling condemnation before God, maybe before others. Do we live in that churn or do we live free from that with a whole new motivation to actually do some good in this world, not because we have to or because we'll be punished if we don't, but because of God's grace motivating us to do what is good. And that's the thread of the book of Romans. The book of Romans, as you know, is about bringing two people, two groups of people who hate each other together in Christ. That's the whole book of Romans. Two groups of people who hate each other together in Christ. The Jews hated the Romans. The Romans hated the Jews. The Jews called the Romans hedonistic sinners. The Romans called the Jews uptight legalizers. You're following your, your law, your 10 commandments, your old Testament. And yeah, we get it, right? You're righteous, right? The apostle Paul comes out in Romans one and says the Roman hedonists, 
you're kind of making a mess of your life and you're making a mess of your culture and you gotta tighten some trash up because you're hurting a lot of people. Romans chapter two, he looks to the Jewish legalizers who are trying to obey the 10 commandments and all the other commandments of the Old Testament saying, hey, listen, you're striving to be good, but your heart is just as black as the Roman hedonists. You're all the same. And in fact, you're hypocrites. And he brings them together not to condemn, but to say, hey, listen, be humble. Nobody is perfect. You're not perfect Romans. You're not perfect uh, Jews. You're not perfect. No one is perfect. We all need God's grace. Look to Jesus for grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, and let him bring you two together so you can have a unified church. And a unified church that loves each other despite our differences, that is diverse in culture, diverse in background, diverse in opinion, but truly loves each other and is committed to loving the world around them, that's the very light of Jesus that will shine through this world and change the world for good. That's Romans. But there's a problem. The problem is the Jewish followers of Jesus were hanging on to their Old Testament tight. Not just as their scripture, but as scripture that should be applied to everyone. And they were running up against problems because the Romans were not lining up to be circumcised. They're like, we're good, <laughs> real good. And the Jews are saying, no, God's law says you must be circumcised. The Romans weren't excited about avoiding, you know, bacon cheeseburgers, but the Bible in the Old Testament says no cheese and meat put together and for sure no bacon. And they're like, we like our bacon cheeseburgers. And they're saying, nope, the word of God, the law of God, the Old Testament commandments say. Romans liked, you know, having a weekend, having their Saturday and doing stuff on Saturday. And the Jewish legalizers were saying, no, Bible says you can't do one thing on Saturday. You, not one thing. So they're trying to impose their moral codes and their religious codes and their dress codes and their diet codes onto the Romans. And it was creating a problem. So the Apostle Paul has to establish to the Jews that your scripture, now you're gonna, some of you are gonna wanna throw rocks. In abeyance, please, for 20 minutes. Paul had to scream to the Jews, that's your scripture. Don't impose that on anyone else. And in fact, the apostle Paul says, you don't even have to follow it. Big gnarly books, right? Here's what the apostle Paul says, <clears throat> Romans 7, 3, and this is gonna sound so weird. The Apostle Paul is trying to communicate that you're free from the law. You're free from the Old Testament commandments. And he says this, if a husband dies, the wife is free from the law that binds her to him. She is free to remarry. This is an analogy, not a suggestion. I saw, you know, my wife diligently memorizing Romans 7, 3. If a husband dies, the wife is free from the law that binds her to him. So I got a little concern over there. <laughs> Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. There's a covenant between two parties, right? And in this instance, the law had a covenant with the Jews, right? <clears throat> the law, the Old Testament commandments, the 10 commandments from Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the, the, the law of Moses given to the Jews, that's the covenant. In any covenant, like a marriage, if one dies, you're free from the covenant. So if a husband dies, the wife is free to attach herself to another. When we get married, there's a promise made, uh, what I do after marrying a couple is I sign a county piece of paper, I mail it into the county, it gets recorded in the county clerk's office, and you are legally bound now as one taxable unit, right? 
when one dies, you're no longer bound. So what Paul is saying is through death, what bound two parties together no longer applies. Who died? Jesus died to free us from being bound to the Old Testament commandments. He died. The Old Testament commandments are the laws that kept us bound to sin, guilt, shame, and condemnation, but Jesus died freeing us from that law. The death of Jesus was like the death of a husband, freeing a wife from the law that bound them together. She is now free to bind herself to another. So by the death of Christ, we are all free from the Old Testament commandments and free to bind ourselves to another. That's precisely what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, 4. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. In other words, pay attention here. A lot of Romans, there's a lot of legal language, right, about grace and law and penalties and, and, and lineages. It's very complex. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, here's the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. Jesus died so we're free from the power of the law. We have also died from the power of the law. We are free from the Old Testament commandments. And now you're united with the one who raised Jesus from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Because of the death of Jesus, we are no longer bound to the old commandment, which means we can bind ourselves to another. What does Romans 7 say? We can now bind ourselves to God himself personally. We're not binding ourselves to the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the books of Moses, the Old Testament. We're not bound any longer to that because through the death of Jesus, that covenant has died. Now we can choose to bind ourselves to God himself. Why? Because there's nothing between us anymore. Jesus, Jesus forgave us. He showed the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God. He showed the entire world by his life, his death, and resurrection that there is nothing between you and God. Nothing. There's no law, no standards, no covenants, no contracts. There's no failure. There's no sin that separates us from God because we're forgiven by his grace through Jesus Christ and a discussion. So by faith, we believe that. So by faith, I know right now that there's nothing between God and I, nothing. Now, I still have a list of things that I do that I know I shouldn't. And I still have a list of things over here that I know I should be doing that I'm not doing. I still have that list. I've not attained any measure of perfection but I know by faith through Jesus Christ that God and I are absolutely in perfect relationship by his grace. And because of that, there's nothing that stands between me and God. Not the commandments, not the law, not my guilt, not my shame, not my failure, not my sin. It's gone. It died with Christ. There's just me and God. I'm now free to bind myself to God. You are free to bind yourself to God personally, freely. There's nothing between you. And as a result, it says we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God, not to satisfy a law, not to satisfy commandments, so we can do good in the world, not because we're kind of under this law, rules, regulations, and standards, and the guilt of disobedience and all that. That doesn't produce anything good. What produces real good is putting that to death and live in relationship with God by his grace in a relationship of love. Now I am just living in the, in the pleasure of that relationship that love connection with God because of Jesus Christ, and now I can enjoy being loved and enjoy loving other people. That's true good. We're free to do good deeds for God. Not out of fear, not out of shame, but for God. 
We are raised with Christ, bound only to God, not to the commandments. So we're free to do good out of love for God, not out of fear of judgment and condemnation. Paul then restates this point as he does often in Romans. He restates and restates and restates and restates so we get it. Romans 7, 6, now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. And listen, every single person on earth who has been born into a religious paradigm lives under the weight of the law. Everyone born, most everyone born in the Christian tradition was born under law. This, these are the Ten Commandments. We teach the Ten Commandments by the, in Sunday schools when they're zero years old. There's even this kind of strategy in churches. I've seen all the curriculum. I mean, like all of it. <laughs> Sunday school curriculum, youth group curriculum, on the church side and the school side. We have a school over there. And I'm telling you, finding curriculum that doesn't start with the Ten Commandments, I don't know that it exists. We have to ground kids in the Ten Commandments so they know how to be good little boys and girls. That is, how do I say this? Eh, we'll just go for it. That's antichrist. To let kids know from the youngest of ages that there's this law that is brooding over these children, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That, from this big, they're raised in churches that bear the name of Jesus. From this biggest of commandments, and we start with the old, and it kind of makes sense. You know, you read from left to right, you start from Genesis and... Do not start in Genesis. Don't. Don't start with kids, little kids. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. Stop it. It creates this weight, this religious weight that the entire world is under. It's the slavery the entire world is under. And the Apostle Paul is like, he's shouting and repeating himself time and time again. Do not serve God in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. Quit it, but in the new way of living in the spirit. And whenever the Bible talks about the spirit, the Bible is referring to a direct relationship with God himself through his spirit. Our spirit relating with his spirit. It's relationship by grace through Jesus Christ, not based on anything we've done, not through obeying the commandments to earn, but just forget it, That's die, that is gone. It has died with Christ. There's nothing now but a relationship with God, unbroken and unbreakable by grace. Let's raise kids in that. I mean, from the tiniest age, God just loves you and loves you and loves you, and he's proven that through Jesus. Ground them in the love of God, the unconditional love of God, and practice that in your homes, right? So these kids just know how loved they are, and yes, they make mistakes, and yes, there's gonna be correction and conversations, because we love these kids, right? We don't want them hurting themselves or others. God loves us, he doesn't want us hurting ourselves or others, but it's not this law and punishment and consequence and fear and, and, and judgment, it's a relationship in the spirit, not the letter of the law. Romans 7, 9 <clears throat> The Apostle Paul just gives a, uh, an, an example, one example. He says, when I learned the commandments not to covet, the power of sin came to life. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, there's these 10 commandments and one of the commandments is thou shalt not covet. So Paul's just living his life and then he reads thou shalt not covet. Oh, I didn't know co coveting was a sin. I just thought, hey, I like that person's chariot. I want their chariot. That would be cool to have that chariot. I like that person's you know, hut. I, I would like that hut. 
Um, the Old Testament is very clear. This commandment is do not covet that person's donkey, right? So you donkey coveters, now you know it's a sin. Don't covet that person's donkey, right? That's what the Apostle Paul says is, I didn't know that was a sin. And now here's the commandment. It's like, oh, that, now I know how sinful I am. Wow, now I got to fight coveting and don't covet, don't covet. Oh, I really like that chariot. Don't covet, don't covet. You're bad, you're bad, you're a terrible person, right? The commandment said and you're failing the commandments. That's the power of sin that comes to life. And Paul says, and I spiritually died. That is spiritual death living under the weight of these commandments. So I discovered that the law's commandments, were supposed, which were supposed to bring life, actually brought spiritual death instead. Let's hold on that. Did you hear what the Apostle Paul just said? The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the Bible, just said the Old Testament laws, the Old Testament commandments, the Ten Commandments bring spiritual death. He just said that. If I were to take that verse, go to our communications team and say, I've got the greatest idea on earth. We've got a billboard out there and 66,000 cars go by this place every single day and read that billboard and we just put Romans 7, uh, 10 in there that the Old Testament commandments bring spiritual death and just put that up there. Holy mother of all that is, can you imagine? This concept is horrifically controversial and let me just be clear, this church takes a lot of a lot of um, uh, stuff for this line of teaching. But we have kind of that same passion, I think, that the Apostle Paul had that is looking at people tearing each other apart. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're not meeting the standards, you're not meeting the standards, I'm a better person than you and I know more than you and I'm right and you're wrong and I'm holy and you're not and you, you're condemned and I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell and... That's just normal Christian life right now. It is, I mean, what's going on in, in the world and the controversies over this stuff and, and the Apostle Paul saw it 2,000 years ago and I think if the Apostle Paul were to somehow appear today and, and go on social media and you guys are saying, what? Yeah, it's the same thing we dealt with in Romans. It's the same, same, same. When are we going to learn that the old is gone, the old... Testament had its place. We'll talk about it in a minute, but we have to move beyond the Old Testament commandments. They bring spiritual death. They brought spiritual death 2,000 years ago. They bring spiritual death now. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Sin took advantage of those commandments and deceived me. It used the commandments to kill me. He's talking about spiritual death. Have you felt the weight of that kind of spiritual death? Here's a little just quiz for you. Have you felt spiritually dead have you ever thought, I'm not good enough? Have you ever thought that? I'm not good enough. If you've ever had that thought, I'm not good enough, that's spiritual death. Have you ever thought, I'm not worthy of God's love? That's spiritual death. Have you ever thought that I'm not worthy to pray? I'm not gonna spend a few minutes in prayer because God knows what I've done. And if I try to pray, hey God, he's gonna go, you know what you did. Have you felt that? Have you felt that God must be disappointed with me? 
Have you felt as though your failures are a heavy burden that you carry with you like rocks on a backpack? You're carrying this guilt of things you've done in the past. Do you feel condemned by God? Do you feel condemned by others? Do you have a hard time even going to church because you think, ah, you know, I, I just, I don't think I deserve to kind of, have you thought maybe God's not gonna bless my life because you've continued to do things you know you shouldn't do, therefore God's not gonna bless your life? Have you thought that? That's spiritual death. Have you thought that you might not even be saved? How can I be saved if I keep doing the same things over and over again? Maybe I'm not sincere and maybe I'm not good enough. Have you ever thought that you might even be condemned to hellfire because of the things that you've done and the patterns in your life? Most people would say, yes, I felt this. I felt this spiritual death. The Apostle Paul says, you've got to be free from that. Jesus came to free you from that. And so we might be tempted to ask the question. Paul always knows the questions that are being asked in the background and answers them. If the Ten Commandments, if the Old Testament commandments bring spiritual death, then, not, then are the Old Testament commandments bad? Fair question, right? He just said the commandments of the Old Testament bring spiritual death, so are they bad? The Apostle Paul says, no, the trouble is not with the law. The trouble isn't with these kind of standards of perfection. That's not the problem. They're spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, get this, for I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. There's not a problem with the, the standards, right? The problem is I'm just not ever gonna perfectly follow those standards, and so now what? It's just not gonna happen. The only one to perfectly follow the standards is Jesus, who followed not just the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. We have trouble with both, right? We're just all too human. So then what? Do we live perpetually in this kind of realm of spiritual death and guilt and shame, and I'm not good enough, and will God bless my life, and am I even going to heaven when I die? Are we gonna to continue to live there because we're gonna to continue to fail to meet those standards? Or is there some other freedom that puts to death that whole paradigm and says, I'm just gonna enjoy a relationship with God and I'm just always gonna know I'm not gonna meet these standards, but those standards are dead in Christ and I'm just gonna enjoy being a child of God with my failures. I'm just gonna enjoy that. I'm gonna enjoy the reality that I'm not a perfect human being, but there's a perfect God who perfectly loves me and has perfectly forgiven me, and I'm just gonna enjoy that. With all my failures, I'm gonna enjoy this perfect relationship with God by grace. And yes, there's some things I've gotta work on, but I'm gonna work on those things out of love for God and his love for me, not because I'm bowing to these standards of perfection that Jesus died for. And then Paul reiterates, he says, I don't really understand myself. He says, I'm still struggling. I get this whole grace idea. I get I'm not under the law, but I'm still struggling. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And so the apostle Paul is just reiterating, even with all this grace, I'm on a journey here, right? And he says, listen, we're all too human, all of us. From the apostle Paul all the way down to you and I, we're all too human. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all don't do things we should do. And the Old Testament commandments don't help. They never have. It's kind of like the, the speed limit, right? <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Why does everybody automatically laugh when I say there's a speed limit? These are laws on the books, right? That say, don't go too fast. Don't go too fast. Each of us has a system on the speed limit, right? Everybody has a system on the speed limit. Uh, for those of you who like to push it a little bit, you, I've heard you. I've lived this life. 
I can't go over 10 miles per hour, but I know if I go over 10 miles per hour above the speed limit in the far left lane, I'm probably gonna get busted, but I can kind of push it if I'm a little bit to the right, I can go a little faster because the cops are looking over there. And then there's other people who are saying, listen, I know five miles per hour, I'm never gonna get pulled over, and so I'm not going five miles an hour over that speed limit. That's me. I'm not going over five miles an hour above the speed limit because I don't wanna get busted. I don't wanna go through the hassle. Getting a ticket's a hassle, right? And traffic school, I mean, the worst thing on earth, on earth is like traffic school. And uh, I don't wanna go through all that deal at all. And so we, we just have this deal. How do we navigate the law, right? How do we navigate that speed limit? Does the law ensure everybody follows the speed limit perfectly? What's the answer? No way, but it's the law. It's the perfect standard. Does it keep us from breaking the speed limit? No, it doesn't. It just means now we're playing games with it, right? That's what the law does. That's what the 10 commandments do. Here's the standards, 10 commandments. Here's the five books of Moses. And all right, that's the law. Now, how can I play? How can I play? I was a youth pastor forever. There's always this discussion. Well, how far can you go like making out before you break the law? It's like the number one topic in, and it gets detailed. And it's, it's, but that's the, that's the thing. It's like, there's the law. Does it, does it keep everybody, everybody's nose perfectly clean? No, it just means now you're playing games. How about, don't applaud, but how about no speed limits? You, I, listen, I, I'm telling you, no speed limits. How about instead of speed limits, like all of them gone, instead of speed limits, we say, hey, listen, Americans, come on. 48,000 people die in car wrecks every year, mostly because of speeding. And families are ripped apart by that. It's dangerous to speed, people get hurt. You could hurt yourself, you could hurt others. We're not gonna do a speed limit, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna look out for each other. And especially around school when they're kids, you know, you might wanna really think about how fast you're going. But we're gonna care for each other and how we drive our cars. And so we get in our cars, you know, every morning and we're about to go to work, instead of how can I beat the traffic and manipulate the speed limits and I'm, I'm driving a very heavy vehicle here and if I don't drive this with some care, some people are gonna get hurt. I don't wanna hurt anybody, so I'm gonna be careful as I go to work. Some of you are like, well, that's boring. <laughs> but you see the difference between the heart of the law and the letter of the law? The more letter of the law we get, the more we play games and manipulate, and we entirely lose the point. Now it's just playing games on speed limit. The heart of the speed limit is to save lives. I mean, the national, what's it called? The National Safety, Traffic Safety Administration, whatever. These are, I've done a little bit of reading in this, and I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. These are good people. You know what their goal is? You know what their mission is at the National Traffic Safety Board or whatever? They have a mission statement that says zero traffic deaths. These are like hundreds of people dedicated to zero traffic deaths because they don't want families ripped apart and experiencing the horror of losing a loved one on the road. They're dedicated to that. And so that's seatbelts and it's laws and it's analysis and all this stuff. And, and yet there's all these speed limits out there that don't do any good. Ditch the speed limit and let's have the National Traffic Safety Board communicate to us what they see every day. And let's get it to a heart level. This isn't about traffic. You get my point, right? In our relationship with God, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna have this letter of the law and the 10 commandments and what's a sin and what's not a sin and, and let's judge these people and let's rip these people apart and let's show how condemned they are. And is that what we're gonna do? Now we're just playing games with the law because we're not gonna look at our stuff. 
We're breaking the speed limit by five miles an hour, but we want to hammer the people breaking it by 10. It's just playing games with the law. What the Apostle Paul says in Romans is, Jesus died to set us free from the law. It is gone. Colossians uh, 2, Jesus died so that the code, the law, no longer stands over us. We're free. Now what God wants us to enjoy is the heart of God. The heart of God. Enjoy a relationship with God without the law. Enjoy being loved by him. Enjoy seeing how much he loves us so we can start to love ourselves. And instead of thinking, oh, I'm a terrible person, no, I'm loved by God, even with all my faults and flaws and failures and the things labeled sin, breaking the commandments. He loves it all. He loves me. He just loves me. And so I can start to love myself, even though I know in the back of my head, I got some stuff to work on, but I actually kind of enjoy working on this stuff because the more I'm loved by God, the more I love myself, and the more I see that God's heart is simply for my benefit. Anything he wants from me in terms of how I live my life and how I think and how I speak and how I treat others is for my benefit. And then the benefit of people around me. And I can get the heart of that. I can say, thank you for loving me, even with my imperfections. And yes, I have some things to work on. I've got my list the way Paul does. Yeah, I, I need to really control my anger, but it's not gonna be bowing to some threatening list of commands. It's gonna be, wow, God is not angry at me and there's good reasons for him to be angry at me. And so I'm not gonna be angry at myself and I'm gonna really work on by the spirit of God and the power of his word and the power of a community of faith and friends. I, I really wanna want walk a journey of being less angry. It's not beneficial to me, it's not beneficial to them. And so I'm gonna to let the love of God really spill over in love for others and it's a whole journey for some of us, right? Whatever you think you need to be doing, work on that in, in the pleasure of an unbroken relationship with God, right? Isn't that a cool way of thinking about it? And that's what really changes the heart. That's what really changes the heart. I'm gonna close with uh, just a mental picture of two households, a household of standards and a household of relationship. This is what the Apostle Paul is, is juxtaposing. The household of standards, and some of you might relate to this, is in this household, you will. In this household, you will get straight A's. That's the standard of this household. That's what we expect, straight A's. In this household, we're gonna, let's say, you know, work on the piano. And it's not just working on the piano, you're gonna be proficient in that piano. And when it comes to that recital time, we want practice, practice, practice. Practice makes what? Perfect, and you are gonna nail that recital. Oh, and by the way, you're gonna show up for a sport, and when you show up for that sport, you're gonna be nails. You are gonna practice, you are gonna perform, and when it comes to that tournament time, this is what we expect. Oh, and by the way, when we're in public, when we're in public, you need to make us look really good. You need to make us look really good. We don't wanna see any cracks in your foundation, son, daughter. This is a household of standards. And every day, every week, every month, every report card, every recital, every game, are you hitting the standards? Some of you may have lived in that household, right? Some of you might admit, I may be creating that household the rules, the standards. You're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. I will treat you better when you perform better. A household of standards. Welcome to church. I mean, that's just what it is most of the time. Then there's a household of relationship. We're just gonna enjoy each other. We're hanging out together, we love each other deeply. We know none of us in this house are perfect. 
Every one of us in this house does things we shouldn't and doesn't do things we should, we get that. But we are gonna love each other and have fun together and accept each other and walk this journey together, even with our failures. And yes, every once in a while, we're gonna have some significant conversations because you're doing something that's actually hurting you and I love you as a parent, so we're gonna have a conversation about what you're doing. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting others. Our love for you never changes. We are not like condemning you. We're just saying, listen, out of our love for you, you have a journey to go, so let's have some conversations. Let's talk about this, right? There might even be a couple consequences to guide you along the way, but you're always going to know my love for you never changes. You are forgiven of everything you've done now and everything you ever will do. I'm not gonna hold any failure against you for the rest of your living days because we are a household of relationship. We're a household of love. And some of you have been blessed to be raised in that kind of household. And some of you are giving blessing to your spouse and to your kids because you're building that household. Household of standards or a household of love. The Apostle Paul is saying so many people live in a household of religious standards Jesus died to free us from that so we can bind ourselves to another. We can bind ourselves to God himself in an unbroken and unbreakable relationship by grace through love. That is going to change everything. That freedom allows us to be loved by God so we love ourselves and because we love God and love ourselves, we can love others as ourselves. The great commandment that Jesus himself preached. We can live free and do good out of motivation that really warms the heart, puts a smile on our face, and we can have a lot of fun going to church. Not this churn of God's perfect, you're not, do better. God's perfect, you're not, do better. Standards, dead, dead in Christ. And we are raised to a new life, a new life of freedom, bound to God himself in a relationship by the Spirit. That's a ton of fun and actually changes the heart. Let's pray. God, the book of Romans is so powerful. And the truths that are in there are, are utterly life-changing. And so God, it is my prayer as we go through this, this book week after week that there would be a, a true enlightenment. There would be a true uh, changing of the hearts and minds uh, away from this, this churn of failure and commandments and guilt and shame and feeling condemned. That has died with Christ. And we've been raised with Christ to bind ourselves to something new a whole new world of freedom. There's nothing between us and you, not one thing, not our sin, not our failures, not our past, not our future, nothing. We are in a perfect union with you, our heavenly father, because of what Jesus did to forgive us, what Jesus did to restore us, what Jesus did to let us know by even his own death, the price that he paid to tell the world just how much you love us. So we're free to be loved by you unconditionally even though we know there's things that we do that we shouldn't and things that we don't do that we should, you look at us and you declare us your perfect daughter, your perfect son. You embrace us with an embrace that will never fail, that is unconditional. And the more we know that, the more we know how free we are from these standards, the more we know how free we are to just enjoy being loved by you, the more life wells up within us and we can love you in return and love ourselves and love the world around us, living free and doing good for your glory and to build a better world that looks more and more like heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.